Hello, this is Brandon Boat, and this is the Theater of Public Policy podcast. Our topic today is Meet Minneapolis, and for that, we talked with Melvin Tennant, who has been Chief Executive Officer and President of Meet Minneapolis since 2007. Mr. Tennant has served for more than 25 years in leadership positions for destination marketing organizations in the cities of San Antonio, Charlotte, Oakland, and the greater Houston area. Meet Minneapolis is in charge of getting people to come to the city, uh, to host their conventions here, to come and visit and stay and play and all of the sorts of things, but also uh, in charge of big applications to try and get the Super Bowl here or uh, Giant World's Fair Expo, all sorts of different things. So we talked with him about what can they do on their end, how do you change the image that a city has, and who our biggest rivals are. What are the cities nationally that Minneapolis is looking out for and grits their teeth when they get the application and whatnot. I hope you enjoy the show. Good evening. Thanks for having me. I, I, we're delighted to have you. So um, I, I love to start shows with folks who have probably uh, heard about you or at least heard of Meet Minneapolis and the work that you all do just by asking, what is it that you actually do every day? What is your what what is a day in the life of Melvin Tennant like? A, a day in the life. Well, Tane, thank you for having me. And <laughs> I was thinking that a name like that deserves its own theme song. I mean, you need to you need to get maybe a cape and a big T and I mean, a, I was, a, a, a yeah. ca- we moved quickly from a theme song to a cape to a Yeah, I mean, it, I, you, you could do, you could play. You do could you pull want me it to? Off. Are you trying to get you out of this by off. making me fight crime? You could pull it off. You really could. I, I, if you can make capes like part of sort of the Minneapolis fashion trend, I we will. I'm that. right there. We could do that. But thanks again. Yeah. Uh, Meet Minneapolis is Minneapolis's marketing organization. So we market the city for any type of travel or event, leisure travel, group travel, business travel, for whatever reason people could possibly come here, it's our job to try to get them here, to spend their money, uh, generate economic impact, maintain jobs, build a community, and um, that's what we do every day. And there are all sorts of variations of that, but it's all about sales and marketing for us. So I, 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 I figured that much, but I am curious about sort of what that looks like. Is it is it you calling up the head of the knitting association and saying, hey, we know you guys are going to do that big yarn conference somewhere. Uh, why not? Why not doing it here in Minneapolis? You know, it, and it, when it really boils down to it, you're exactly right. We have to find out who the decision makers are for any group that has to uh, that that possibly has a meeting or event. We find that person, figure out what the process is for getting them to say yes, get them to sign on the dotted line. And then they come. These events don't just show up on their own. And so what does go through the the minds of the folks that you're talking to? How do they decide between – and again, you've worked in several sure. cities. How do they sure. decide Minneapolis? Well, a lot of it has to do, first of all, with destination appeal. If you're a planner for an event, you have to think about what it is that's going to cause your delegates or your the people that you're responsible for to want to come to a destination. So – we have to have destination appeal, which we have. Then we have to look at what facilities we have to see if they match up with what the particular group needs. And uh, once we get, once we check those two boxes, then we get into a competitive bidding situation with uh, a number of other cities that might want that same event. It's always a, comp- a competition. So what's te- – te- say more about destination appeal because that seems – I mean, that's just a fun can of worms. Uh, I'm trying to sort of pin down what what's – uh, what is is there a checklist? Is there a yes? There is no, not exactly a checklist, but I think people uh, who are visitors, whether they're coming to Minneapolis or any other city for 
for uh, leisure travel, for business travel, looking for a number of the same things. Are there fun places to eat? Are there fun places to go and spend your spare time, like coming coming here to the Theater of Public Policy? That might be something that they would have <laughs> All right, have on knitters in the audience. So. That's right. Um, obviously, the, the, the fact that people think they're going to have fun, whether they're shopping, all of those things come into play. But even though you might be coming here for a business purpose, People have to want to come to a destination for you to be successful. So what's the what's hard then about – because uh, one of the things we promoted this show this week as is uh, Minneapolis keeps getting uh, named the best city in the universe yes. uh, on every list. And so, I, I, I mean, why, why do we even need to convince people? We're so cool. People should just want to come here. We, we are so cool, but it's very competitive out there. And I'll give you a quick example. We've had some great successes in recent uh, – over the last year or so – since our new stadium has been under construction, we've been able to secure a Super Bowl and also been able to secure a Final Four, which are events which, which we've not been able to host for a number of years because of the facility. Well, last week, unfortunately, we found out that we did not receive the bid for the college football playoff game for the year 2020. We lost out to New Orleans. So that gives you an idea of the type of competition there is out there to get major events. There's usually always a long list of cities that a client is considering why why i mean why new orleans i mean there that's whoever said oh new orleans that sounds like fun nobody <laughs> well there there are you know everybody has different tastes and so for the purposes of the college football <laughs> you're trying to give me a hard time aren't you yes is that your job i give something if this is a job okay. um <laughs> Uh, but you know why? What, do we know? Do they send you like a, a, a rejection letter that's like, listen, you know? Yeah, I, I got it. Said you're just not good enough, Melvin. Oh, that's yeah. so Minnesotan. I was, to just I, be... was I was devastated. Yeah. It no, is... actually, oftentimes uh, a client doesn't want to really hurt your feelings, so they don't give you a straight answer. But in the case of New Orleans, New Orleans is a perennial destination for major sporting events. So from bowl games to Super Bowls to Final Fours. And so with this college football playoff, they wanted to move it around and go to places where fans were were, were very familiar with the destination. And so that was uh, one of the reasons why New Orleans got it. But in this case, also, one of the behind-the-scenes reasons we did not get it is because of the two successes that I mentioned previously, the Super Bowl in 2018, the Final Four in 2019, the college football playoff would have been 2020. So they would have been third in the line of mega events, and perhaps they thought that by the time we got to them, we might be tired and wouldn't be able to deliver the type of oh, that's type of experience that they really felt like they needed. So how much of this then is very practical things as far as space and whatnot, and then how much of it is uh, something that's intangible that's just, you know, whether it's cool mm. or not, and, and what can you do to make Minneapolis more cool? Well, one of the things that we, are you working wow, on right wow, now? Yeah, wow, why? Absolutely. Why? Well, you could be wearing a cape right now. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying. Uh, I'm not saying things. So a lot of it is intangibles because once you check the box on the basic, basic infrastructure, do you have enough airlift to get you in town? Do you have enough hotel rooms? Is your convention center big enough? Do you have enough um, venues offsite where our delegates can go and have dinner and things that they can do in their spare time? All that can really, a, a lot of cities can fulfill that. But what is it that, going back to destination appeal, what is it that's going to want somebody to come to your city, in this case, Minneapolis? And so one of the things that we've done to try to capture that essence is to 
is our branding, and our branding is City by Nature. And so we, we established that brand about four years ago, but essentially, to put it into sort of technical terms, we're the only American city where natural and urban drama share a single stage. Natural and urban drama? Drama. Drama. Natural drama, like like wildlife are going to attack you or... Uh, well, I did, I did see a deer today on the way to work. Did it attack you? It did not. Okay, good. It did That's, not. You should put that in like the flyer, like, we have deer, they will not attack you. I, I like that. I like that. It's a free That's one. Big. That's uh, big. So, uh, so a lot You've of... done this before. I, once. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, a, a lot of this is uh, intangible and it's branding. Uh, what are the things then that you hear as far as people? Uh, how upfront are they? They're like, ah, I don't, I don't know. I'm just thinking. Well, well a, lo- a lot of it is perceptions because uh, we still get people who oftentimes wonder if it's cold and freezing here all year round. That's probably the biggest perception that we get. And what, how, how do you lie to them and say that it's not? I don't, um, I don't lie. We, we, we actually embrace it. In fact, one of the ways in which we were able to secure the Super Bowl, which is um, early February, February the 4th, 2018 to be exact, mm. is to embrace the cold and actually, uh, when, instead, of bold, instead of cold, we said bold. You know, take, take, take charge of it. We really get out and we want to get, get out and do, do experiences and things that, that you wouldn't get to do on other places where there is not this type of weather and terrain. I mean, this, it's serious. I'm, I'm, I, know I live are. here. I get it. Uh, I'm just trying to. I, I grew up in South Florida, and I'm trying to imagine uh, my now friends. That explains it. My uh, explains friends from it. South Florida trying to say, you know, Minnesota, February fourth, perfect time to come and visit. Uh, it'll be amazing. Outdoor football. Nobody ever did outdoor football in February. I don't know why in Minnesota, but we'll figure it out. Okay. Well. We'll be in, in, in the new U.S. Bank Stadium. It'll be nice and covered. It'll so. be nice and covered. That's yeah. right. That's good. Um, so uh, so the perceptions are uh, one of the pieces. Uh, what are the things when folks actually get here then that, I don't know, the, the impressions that people have that you hear about or don't hear about? It's, it's literally surprise and delight because a lot of times people don't really have an opinion um, about Minneapolis. So they come here and they see... They see the, the, the green. They see it's a major city. That's one thing that we get a lot, too, is that looking at Minnesota as being a very outdoorsy state, people don't realize that we're a major metropolitan area. So people are surprised. They understand that we have a, a very vibrant economy, a low unemployment rate, all these things which really contribute to a quality of life. And when they experience that, people are surprised, and usually their, uh, their, their opinions change. We, the, the good news is we don't have to worry about reshaping a bad opinion it's that a lot of visitors just don't have any opinion at all so that's our job to help shape those opinions uh so tell us a little bit about uh, i know that you all started to do some new work uh, a new project on nicolette mall is this correct and in particularly trying to welcome new visitors here and so uh, can you just tell us a little bit what what, what sure. does meet minneapolis do as far as the experience of somebody who just lands you're, here? you're you're exactly right we, we we market the destination we convince people to get here but when we get here we also have to do things that will make them feel welcome and make them want to come back and one of those ways in which we have recently um, um, done that even better, I believe, is through our MVI, Minneapolis Visitor Information, at 5th and Nicolette, right at the light rail station. So it's a hands-on visitor information uh, facility where people can come and as their launch pad for their Minneapolis experience. And it's been a long time since we've had a physical visitor information 
center because so many people right now think that well you can just go on the web or you can just do things technologically but there's really something about coming in and meeting face to face with someone and getting an honest opinion about where should i go if i have a couple hours to spend what sort of restaurant would you recommend where can i take my kids who have a half a day to spend those types of things are really help shape the experience is this a person? Is this you? Do you sit there on Fifth and Nicolet and, I, I, I don't pers- and you're like, hey, hey, guys, look at me. Uh, I'll help. Uh, uh, do you but need a hat? I have hats for you. If I'm, if I'm actually in that facility, I would certainly do that. But we do have a staff that, that does that. That's good. No, but I'll, 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 I, you laugh about it, but my career in, in destination marketing started in visitor information, and I did exactly that, helping people uh, directions to certain places, directing them, giving them recommendations. That's that's a lost yeah. art. It really is a lost art. And really that face-to-face encounter is something that I think really, uh, really, uh, really stays with people. That's interesting. I 100% agree with you. I'm curious what then the folks who uh, are on your staff who do this, what do you tell them as far as how to do this job well? You, you call it an art. What what makes someone good at that art? Well, you have to find out, first of all, what the needs of the of the visitor might uh, might be. So they come in and they'll tell you, they'll ask you a question. I, I want to go explore the neighborhoods or I want to go see the go to a place where I can look at uh, the skyline and, and, and look over the expanses of, of, of downtown, or I want to go experience nature. I want to go bike riding. I want to go see the lakes. You say you've got 10,000 lakes. Where are they? So we get all sorts of questions, and it really depends on what they ask us, and then we try to direct them appropriately. So what uh, – we talked a little bit about people have uh, the misconception uh, that it's cold here. Right. Uh, and we've talked a little bit about folks uh, come here partially because of the city. So what – what changes, I guess, then? You, you mentioned surprise and delight. Uh, yeah. Then I guess the question is, what does that actually mean? How does that flesh out as far as what people say or if they come back? Do they come back? Absolutely. Or is it, yeah. Absolutely. Good. Thank God. Oh. They do. They do. So the, one, of the, one of the biggest comments we get is how vibrant downtown Minneapolis is. There's, a, there's been a, a consistent effort to increase the number of residents in downtown Minneapolis. And so if there are residents in downtown Minneapolis, then there need to be services, retail, shopping, etc. And so those are the very same services that visitors need because you go to some cities where there are these manufactured um, tourism districts or these manufactured entertainment complexes and they're, they're, they're contrived. Ours is very, very organically developed. And I think people understand that, and they see it, and they see people out late at night. They don't see people, you know, scurrying back to the suburbs. And at five o'clock, there are people on the streets. There's there's sidewalk dining. There's restaurants, people in them, theaters all, all over the place. There's just there's just a vibrancy that a lot of people don't see in other cities. So this is uh, this is getting in the weeds a little bit, but yeah. I have this conversation with friends a lot of times about uh, people coming to Minneapolis and then uh, the, the street life. Like Nicollet Mall, for the most part, very uh, sort of lively. I, I think that the conversation I have with folks is that there a lot of people then end up in the skyways and that they're all gone. Off the, do you ever wish that you could just blow up all of the skyways? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think it's. I think the skyways serve a very useful purpose. But I think one of the things that we're very interested in is the whole concept of of wayfinding for for visitors in particular. So how do you interact with street life along with with the skyways? It has to be an interaction. So we do like the fact that 
uh, anything that can draw people to the street, like the, the farmer's markets and, and things of that sort that really uh, draw people um, to the streets. So we're very, very much in favor of that. But clearly, skyways are a very useful tool in certain times of the year. So uh, I want to ask sort of a, a very practical public policy question. Yeah. I'm a public policy student. I have bona fides. So... Uh, we were we were looking up uh, some of the numbers around this, and there's uh, you know the city puts a lot of money into th things like the convention center and to meet Minneapolis, sure. and uh, I think that a good public policy student would ask, at what point is it worth it or not worth it, right? You know, if we put in ten million dollars a year into mm -hmm. a convention center and then more on top of that into a convention and visitors bureau, mm -hmm. do we get that all back then as taxpayers somehow? Absolutely, there on, on on a number of levels. First of all. Within the Minneapolis hospitality um, industry, right here in Minneapolis, over 31,000 people make their living in travel and tourism. So those people are able to take care of their families. They're able to to uh, um, to, to send their kids to school and and really make a life for themselves. So we're 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 taking uh, an industry and really adapting it to the needs of 31,000 people. And many of those people are. Are minorities, are, are immigrants, and and really those are those are jobs that really make a difference to them. So that's that's one one level. Then when we go out and we recruit meetings and conventions, those individuals come in and spend money. And to kind of give you an example of an event that uh, is coming, I'll go back to the Super Bowl, sure. and that's that's a little unusual. I, obviously, I can't tell you how much people spent for the Super Bowl here because it hasn't come yet, but in Indianapolis, when it was there several years ago, Super Bowl direct spending was over $300 million. And over the course of a year, if you just looked at our convention center and the economic impact that it generates for the community, it's about $900 million. It's, 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 a, it's a quiet industry, but it generates lots of jobs, lots of taxes, and it, it really is an industry that would, would – would cause Minneapolis citizens to have to pay more taxes if it wasn't in place. That's interesting. So uh, my follow-up to this, and I think you've already hinted at the answer here, is uh, we have a convention center and we have a new stadium and whatnot. Is there is there some capa is there some capacity question as far as you don't want to build too many things because we're just never right. going to have that many visitors? Or it sounds almost like you're saying, you know, the more stuff you have, the more people will have to fill it. Well, I'm, I'm not a subscriber to necessarily if you build it, they will come. But you do need to have some basic infrastructure that will cause people to want to wanna consider you for, for events. Um, with the stadium, they have a permanent tenant with the, with the Vikings who paid more than half of the cost. So they realized that in order to stay here, they, they were willing to write a check to help, help, keep, uh, help build a new stadium. But um, there are communities that have built facilities that are not well used, but I think we've been very prudent here in Minneapolis in building facilities and infrastructure that have really uh, helped support our tourism economy. Um, you know, Target Field going back to 2010 when, when the Twins and, 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 and the county put that together, mm -hmm. that has paid wonderful dividends. They are so far ahead on, that, uh, on, the, on the tax collections that, that – uh, on the taxes that they uh, – Expected to to collect, they're way ahead of that. They're going to pay off that the, the bonds mm. early because mm. of that. That's generated a lot. And you look at the other development around Target Field, for example, all sorts of businesses like Be the Match, the the the, the great nonprofit. You see residential. You see all sorts of things happening around there. So 
those investments, I think, have been very, very valuable. Are you allowed to say, were you sad we didn't get a soccer stadium in Minneapolis? Well, I, I, all I can tell you is that we were very much in the hunt, and I've also read, I've read, and I don't know exactly, that there are a few details that have not yet been ironed out in the St. Paul deal. Wow, keep hope alive, that, right? That, like that, that, That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I don't know if we just broke news. Um, so it was it was in the paper. I'm not th- making this up. So uh, is there? Uh, I have just a couple last questions, and I should say, in the second half of the show, we open it up to you all to ask questions of our guests. So please start thinking about those. So first, I just wanted to ask if there was one thing that you could change about uh, the way we, as Minneapolitans uh, or people from the Twin Cities. Uh, you know, interacted with uh, visitors or something that we did in order to get more visitors here, mm-hmm. a culture change? An, uh, I don't know. What is there something that you would say, oh, if we could all just get behind doing this, it would be much easier? Well, one of the things that I've seen anecdotally from visitors is that if a Minneapolis resident sees a person walking around who looks lost, they'll stop and help them. Oh, I, nice. I've heard those stories time and time again. Really? Because people just cross the street to when I'm lost. Uh, but that <laughs> might be just me. It, it, I think it is just you. <laughs> Could you get this man another beer, please? I think he's... He'll be okay. Uh, so you want us to help and stop strangers. More, and that will also require engaging strangers, which Minnesotans are known to I know, but, but, it, but it happens. Regardless, regardless of what you, what you think, we hear that story time and time again. But what I would say is that I, I hope that we can do a better job Meet Minneapolis and the entire hospitality community, convincing local residents that Minneapolis is indeed a big destination. We are the biggest destination in the state. Even though you've got all sorts of resorts, you've got all sorts of leisure things all around the state, if you were to add up all of the travel and tourism spending, the epicenter is right here. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to bring him back in the second half of the show, but can we do a big round of applause? Mr. Melvin Tennant here. Thank you. Uh, so, if you have a question, please uh, raise your hand. I will run towards you with the microphone. Yes, right here. Are the casinos a draw for the visitors, and uh, what percentage of their uh, visitors are, are actual visitors to the cities? Did you say are casinos a draw? The casinos, yes. Well, they are part of the experience, but although they don't, we don't have any in, in uh, downtown Minneapolis, we have lots of, uh, of, of partnerships with with casinos um, that are obviously in the in the within the general vicinity, um, but I would just tell you that the things that seem to be most appealing to visitors are, are are shopping and what you can do in your spare time. I think casinos certainly add a lot to certain communities, but that hasn't really been a deterrent for us in terms of attracting visitors. Although there had been a discussion several years ago about a downtown casino and in, in the um, in the uh, building formerly known as Block E, which is now now uh, Mayo Clinic Square. But it hasn't stopped us from being successful in attracting visitors. Okay, uh, other folks, I'll come over there and then I'll make my way up the stairs. Sure. I uh, just retired from Seagate, which has locations all over the world and all over the country. And I know you seem to be mostly event-oriented, but my question is more location-oriented, because I know one of the problems that the HR department had was recruiting new employees to the Minneapolis area. 
whenever anybody thought about Minnesota, all they saw was tundra. And they, they, people would really run the opposite direction rather than come to Minnesota. Any advice for HR people in the cities that are trying to recruit people? Well, you're right. That is an ongoing issue. And just a little sidebar to that, Meet Minneapolis was part of a consortium that did some research on how long it takes new residents to become acclimated to the community. And at that time, again, four or five years ago, a person from another part of the country, it took them about a year to become entrenched in the community. But interestingly and unfortunately, people of color, it took them about twice as long. So we do have some some ground to make up there. Um, you know, not to get all public policy on you, but we've got... Wait, we've got you're on the show, but oh, yes. Right, sorry. Um, but we've got related issues like trying to solve our achievement gap issues uh, as well. But to your point, um, we find that it's most we're most successful in getting people to visit, to stay, to maybe relocate businesses once they've experienced Minneapolis for the first time. And I can assure you that a lot of the business associations that we work with, whether it's Greater MSP or the Minneapolis Regional Chamber, the Minneapolis Downtown Council, we're looking at events like the Super Bowl as a huge economic development uh, opportunity. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to get decision makers from all sorts of uh, companies. We'll get very interested people to be here and experience our community and possibly be able to convince them to to come and stay at a later date. So those types of opportunities really help us, but on a day-to-day -day basis, there are all sorts of efforts that various business associations and corporations are undertaking, but it really, in my opinion, starts with getting someone to experience the destination first. Do, uh, as just a quick follow-up, do some of those deeper public policy issues start to bubble up in the work that you do? Do people start to say some of the things like, we love Minneapolis, it concerns us a lot that you do have an achievement gap that's that large or that there's uh, sort of uh, gaps in services for different groups of people or, or things like that. I don't, it, it doesn't work as a deterrent, but I think when, when people see all of the resources that are dedicated to trying to fix it, that actually becomes a positive. Uh, looking at the achievement gap, for example, with with organizations like the Northside Achievement Zone, I know that the Minneapolis Regional Chamber and, as I mentioned, Greater MSP are putting a lot of resources towards that. I think that really speaks to the unification of all of the uh, uh, the efforts that come together here to solve problems. So, in my opinion, that really becomes a positive because every place has has issues. A group of us, for example, were just in Seattle uh, for the uh, Chamber's inner city leadership visit. And if I'm not mistaken, there was a, stati a statistic that I heard that said since 2010, um, something like 80% of the new residents to Seattle either were uh, household income of under 35000 or over 100000 wow. so, so think about that for a second. There was really no middle-class growth. It was really the haves and the have-nots. Hmm. So we've, we, we have issues just like other cities, but, but certainly exposing them and really uh, making efforts to, to try to solve them, I think, is really something that distinguishes our community from a lot of others. Very cool. All right, so uh, there were hands up here. Yes, I'll go here and then up Is there another city, if they were to try to poach you to market their city, that no matter what they offered you or their incentives, you would just refuse to market them? Uh, so let me make sure I understand the question. What city do you hate the most, I think, was basically the essence of it. 
Oh, you were just being polite. Got it. Um, you know, I, I would say that there are a lot. I'll, I'll tell you the cities that we compete against the most. Um, I, I dislike them professionally, but I think there's certainly attributes that they all have. Cities like Indianapolis, that's probably for us as a uh, convention destination, public enemy number one. Because if you think about it, it, it doesn't seem to have a lot of natural attributes. It's, it's you know, on the surface, a plain city in, in, in the Midwest. And but it's got a great personality. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But I think what, what, what I'm, the point I'm going to make is that they've really built that community uh, based on the community coming together. And one of the things that they decided they wanted to be is a strong amateur sports capital, and they really, really own amateur sports in a lot of ways. So that's a community that in some ways I'm envious of, but um, in some ways I, I kind of scratch my head and say, why? Why is, you know, we certainly have many more attributes than that. So that's one. Uh, Chicago is a city that we run up against a lot. I happen to like Chicago, but there are many aspects of it that, um, that to me on the surface seem to make it a difficult city to do business in. For example, a big uh, issue with, with uh, controlling the costs associated with union labor at their convention center, and that has pushed a lot of clients away, and they've taken steps to, to, uh, to deal with that. You look at um, the traffic, and it's tough to get from hotel to hotel to convention center. Uh, they have the same weather that we have, but interestingly, they don't see... Oh. Okay. <laughs> they have similar weather, uh, but yet they don't seem to have weather held against them when they're going after a convention. Nobody says, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to go to Chicago because it's too cold, although we do get those types of comments. Huh. Okay. Two uh, examples. There was a... Can you describe briefly what goes into the presentation or the pitch? A team of you go, I'm guessing it's more than bringing down a PowerPoint slide when you're going for one of the big bids, like one of the big sporting events. All right. So probably the one that was the one that, that I've been involved in that was the most intricate was indeed the Super Bowl bid. And forgive me for, for beating beating that dead horse, but it's it's one that I think is a case study in the complexity of a bid. So one thing that, that you do first is a city has to express an interest in hosting a Super Bowl. Then the NFL, there's a, there's a selection committee that narrows down the list of cities. Can I just, how do you express an interest? Do you, do you pick a rose and you leave it at their doorstep? Or? <laughs> you're, you're funny. Oh, good. You're funny. So there, there's literally... Um, there's a form that you fill out, and, and, and it's called an interest form, and you, you write your city in there. You write the year that you're interested in hosting it. So that's really the first part of it. So then the NFL then collects all of those expressions of interest, and behind closed doors there's a committee of the owners that decides which cities they're going to consider for a particular year. In the year in which we bid, which was for 2018, they narrowed the cities down to three, which were... New Orleans, Indianapolis, and Minneapolis. So basically, in that case, the decision makers are the 32 owners. And so it was important to, to respond to an RFP with all of the specific items that they asked for in terms of, of, uh, of air service, of hotels, of, of venues, 
the, the, the RFP was almost 200 pages, so there was a lot to fill out. So you fill that out, submit it to the NFL, and in this case there was a personal bid presentation that each of the three cities had to make. We each made our presentation on the same day, not in the room together. After all three cities made their presentation, literally it was a, 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 a written hand ballot of the owners who would write down their choice. And so we had to go to the fourth ballot to win because uh, you had to have a majority. And then by the time we got to the fourth ballot, we were the winner. And during that time, there's certainly lots of lobbying going on from owner to owner. You know, I would speculate, for example, that since at the time we won the Super Bowl, Atlanta was in the process of, of confirming a new stadium deal. I would imagine that maybe in exchange for a vote uh, for, for us, you know, our, uh, our owners might support Atlanta for their bid when they make it. So lots of politics, but there was a specifically defined process that we had to go to. Granted, all of those... All of the bids that we make are not that complex, and most of them, I would say, do not require a personal presentation by a, uh, by a, a, a destination, but many of them do. Wow, that, that is some uh, House of Cards stuff. Okay, so here, uh, I'm going to hand this. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, tell us anything about the World's Fair bid. Are you working on that project? How exciting? Question mark, question mark? Question mark, question mark. <laughs> So we're supporting the uh, the Expo Minnesota 2023 entity that that Mark Ritchie is leading, and I did have the opportunity to um, join a delegation in Milan to the World Expo um, just a, a few few weeks ago. It just ended at the end of October. So at this point, there are a few unknowns. Um, there's the Bureau of International Expositions, which is the organizing body. That to whom the bid would be submitted, and um, that bid is is due uh, to them sometime next year. I don't remember the exact month, but at this point, oh God, what if it's due tomorrow? But it's not. Oh, good. Don't scare me like that. I'm in grad school. These things keep me up at night. Anyway. Okay. All right. <laughs> How many beers is that? Two. Just two. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry, we were talking about the, the Expo in 2023, World's, World's which is not due tomorrow. No, it's not due tomorrow. So one of the things that's happening locally is that organizing committee of which Meet Minneapolis is a part is evaluating sites for, this is one of the smaller Expos. These are between the, the years that ended zero or five. Those are the big ones. The one that we're bidding on is one of the smaller ones. And just from a logistical perspective, it, requ it requires about... 60 acres, and it would take place over a period of three months, whereas the major expos on the five and zero years are six months and require a lot bigger physical footprint. So very early in it, in the process, but I'm certainly um, excited about the fact that somebody like Mark Ritchie is leading it. And I, and I really don't see anything major in the way, and I don't want to d diminish the significance of, of the fundraising, and I don't know exactly what that is, but that has to happen. But we're far enough down the road, 2023, where I think it's very feasible. Uh, can I, this is sort of uh, using this as a way to get into a broader thing. What is Minneapolis's pitch for why Minneapolis should be sort of the site of a World Expo since the United States hasn't had, a, had an expo, I believe, since 1983? Or 84. My, my, 84. I, I think that might have actually been New Orleans. That was the one that I recall. 
Boo. Uh, so, um, but what is the, what's the pitch for Minnie? Because City by Nature, as much as I love that, I mean, there's a lot of cities in the world, uh, and uh, some of them have nature. And so, mm. how does Minneapolis try and stand out in something that, and literally competing with virtually any city in the world? So, the bid for the uh, World Expo 2023 is actually a, a metro-wide bid. It's not just Minneapolis. Okay. It's, it's, it's the full community. And um, I don't remember the exact theme, but the theme has to do with health and wellness. If you could check out their website, it can give you the exact, uh, the exact tagline that they're using. But it's because of the, um, the, all the collaboration of the various public and private entities that propel us to one of those top lists that you, that you talked about earlier, healthiest city, most active city, all those things with all of the, the various uh, healthcare companies, great hospitals, healthcare facilities, corporations, et cetera. So that really is the foundation on which that bid is being built. And so I think that's, that's a, a, a foundational part of, of, of succeeding with getting a bid because every city that bids on it has a, a theme that really represents its essence. And so that's what was chosen for this particular uh, bid process. Great. Okay. Uh, I want to make sure if there's a, uh, oh, there are two more hands. Okay, good. We'll try and get both these in. There's been some playful brotherly like jokes and jabs, but how, how, can you explain how you sort of work with, against, differentiate between Minneapolis and St. Paul visitor bureaus? Because St. Paul is city and it's got nature too. It's not an entirely different ecosystem. Whereas New Orleans doesn't have like a person across like Pontchartrain that they're competing against. How do you differentiate and compete? Is it like size or? It, I think you 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 uh, you nailed it. We don't really compete directly against St. Paul, and I'll I'll sort of distinguish that on the convention side. A convention has to be in a particular destination, so that's based a lot on our capacity at our convention center and the adjacent hotel rooms. So we have a convention center that's larger than St. Paul, so that that's a differentiator right there. So again, not a lot of direct competition um, on the leisure side. Leisure visitors don't really care where a city limit begins and ends. If 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 a visitor from Des Moines or a, or a visitor from Berlin, Germany comes here, they're looking for a holistic experience, and they're not worried about whether they're in Saint Paul or or Burnsville or or Shakopee or Minneapolis. They're looking for an experience. So there's actually more much more collaboration uh, than competition in the metro area, and 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 that really I think is what makes us unique. And and there are a lot of a lot of uh, of uh, touch points in place that really cause us to work together a lot with all the communities in the metro area. It's not just St. Paul, it's Bloomington, it's all those other cities. So not a lot of direct competition. Do you ever wish that Minneapolis would annex St. Paul and just make one massive city? Wow. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> I'm not even sure where to start with that, but I, I, I do think... That's the sign of a great question. <laughs> that is a great question. You know, I, I, I hadn't pondered that. You know, at, at times it might be um, on the surface frustrating when, when there are multiple cities that are trying to sell basically the same general piece of real estate because we don't just limit selling everything that's within our city limits, nor does St. Paul, nor does any other city in the metro area. But I don't. Um, I think there's a lot to having the variety of experiences that exist. Um, if you look at New York, for example, 
within the, the city limits of New York, it has lots and lots of neighborhoods and different experiences that could just as easily be in a different city or different county. So it's just a matter of, of managing that, and, and I think we do a pretty good job of it. Very, very diplomatic. Okay, there was one hand right here. Yes. Um, random kind of question, but if uh, Mayor Hodges calls you tomorrow and says, I've got a half billion dollars extra in the budget, um, <laughs> and you're... She's like, what do we do with it, Melvin? What do we, how do we make Minneapolis even more attractive? What, would, what, what do you think you, you'd want to put that money towards? Half a billion. Wow, that's, thank you. <laughs> so one of the things that I would do is, is devote more dollars to uh, marketing Minneapolis as a winter destination. You might be surprised to know that in the summertime, particularly May, June, July, August, Hotel occupancy is extremely high. It's very hard to find a room. So in a lot of ways, we do really, really well in, in the summer. And then some of the shoulder periods in, in, the, in the spring and then in the fall, those work out very well too. But if we could devote more resources to December, January, February to convince people that we do have lots of things going on and that we have a very viable destination even though it might be cold outside, you prepare for it, but you can have just as much fun. So more winter marketing. I would also, frankly, uh, look at ways in which we could augment our convention center. I think there are times when we do turn business away because we don't have the convention center capacity. And then the other uh, part of that is it would be helpful to have more, uh, more hotel rooms near the convention center to make us more competitive. So hopefully... We've got some marketing, and we've got some infrastructure. So those thank you. Were, so when do I pick up the check? That, I mean, those were all very pragmatic, thoughtful answers. But, I mean, a half billion dollars, think crazy here. Come on, why yeah. not like a hover convention center? That's true. <laughs> okay, ladies I'm, and gentlemen. No, I'm just, you put me on the spot, but that, that's a lot of money. But I, I'm sort of a, a pragmatist in that yeah. way. But, but from an infrastructure perspective, what sort of crazy – attraction would cause people to want to be or do, would you want to do a, a ski slope uh, on yeah Jurassic Park in Minneapolis there you go because all of those movies end up awesome uh, I any I mean Jurassic Park hover, uh, hover I like it. convention center I like it you got any other bright ideas Okay. Uh, well, with that and those free ideas for when the mayor Thank has you. that half billion dollars for you, ladies and gentlemen, a, please, a big round of applause. Melvin Tennant. Thank you for listening. Our show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see us in person, you can find our schedule by going to www.t2p2.net or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks.